Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where we get into people's heads and find out how their choices in life has affected them. My name is Leslie Fear. I'm your host. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today I'm joined with Ryan Carpenter, and he is a hot air balloon pilot. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you for having me. It's uh, good to be here. Uh, well, I'm very excited to talk to you about your occupation today. Well, actually, this is more of a hobby for you, but you are a pilot for hot air balloons, and I know you're in Kentucky. Now, I also know you started very early. So can you tell me a little background and what got you into this? Uh, yes. Basically, when I was very young, from as long as I can remember, like around three, four years old, I remember them flying over my house and I just used to sit out on the front porch and, and watch them. And, you know, my parents took notice. And one day my dad decided to put me in the car and we started following them and we followed them to where they landed and we kind of did that for a while, just watched, and then gradually we were invited over. You know, pilots were like, hey, come on over, check it out. And so then I started kind of helping them pack up and started meeting pilots. And my dad started meeting pilots. You know, after that, we were just kind of regulars around the group. Wow. Now, you started, we were talking before we were recording, you went on your first hot air balloon ride at the age of six. and But by then, you said you had already loved watching them. You just said you guys would follow them in the car. And then I think you said at eight, you started, like you said, helping them, understanding how the balloon works, going up on trips with them. And by 19, you had your pilot license, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. When I was younger, like around eight, the pilots would kind of let me have a little bit of, we call it burner time control, uh, and they would you know, give me a little bit of instruction. So I started getting my feet wet there and started kind of learning how to fly it at that age. And then I got my student pilot certificate at 15, 16 years old. So wow. <laughs> you can, I think you can legally get it at like 14, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But you can have your, you have to have your student certificate first and then officially started, you know, logging hours. And well, that's incredible because to be honest with you, I am not real afraid of heights, but I might be getting in one of those. Now, I'm going to ask you some things that I'm sure you get asked all the time. Um, how safe is it? And how safe is that little basket that looks like a little weaved little straw thing? <laughs> I'm sure that's not what it is. Yeah, so it's made out of wicker. Ballooning is extremely safe. The equipment, just like any other aircraft that's out there has to have its annual inspection uh, every year. The equipment is not made to malfunction. So unfortunately, if you hear something or, or an incident, you know, pretty much it is pilot error. The equipment is safe. It's not like you're going to, the, the balloon is going to pop or the basket will detach itself in its flight and you'll fall. It's not made to do that. So as far as it malfunctioning, there's, there's not really any risk at all as long as you're getting the balloon inspected properly and on time and you're not doing anything you're not supposed to. So how do you navigate this thing? You certainly can't steer, and I know you can make it go higher or lower depending on flames. And the, is it still the same kind of technology? Is all that the same as well? Yeah, so, I mean, the direct control that we have is obviously how high and, and how low we want it to go. And uh, basically, uh, in a nutshell, there are different wind directions at different altitudes, and we have resources that we flight plan with beforehand to kind of get a your best guess on what it's going to do with numbers from the computer and all that other stuff that, that's taking those readings. 
And so we can kind of have a general idea before we actually go out. Cause usually we have a general meeting spot where everybody meets. And then another way we kind of gauge uh, the wind direction is by just a regular helium balloon. And we let it go and watch what it does as it, as it goes higher. Oh, right, that right. Give us an idea of what the wind direction is doing. So going back full circle, when we're taking off, we base it off of what we saw. And theoretically, it should stay the same. But, you know, if I'm flying and I go higher and the direction starts turning me to the right, if I come back down, I should go more towards the left. So I can kind of steer like that. And throughout the day, the Earth's surface heats up from the sun. So when the sun comes out, heats up the Earth's surface. That heat from the Earth's surface goes, you know, rises, the cold air replaces it. That's kind of what causes wind, and it mixes up all those wind layers that settled overnight. And so that's kind of why it just generally goes in one direction in the evening. But in the morning flight, overnight, those wind layers have settled, and you can get a lot more steerage, meaning a lot more different directions at the different altitudes because those wind layers have settled on top of each other and nothing has mixed it together. You know, we call it the convective heating of the Earth's surface. Oh, wow. So okay. when the the heat messes with all those wind currents, you don't have as much steerage in the evening, but in the morning when all those layers are settled, you could almost have 180 degrees steerage from left to right, depending on how high and how low you go. So that's kind of how, how we steer it. And then obviously in the morning, if you're doing balloon competitions and you're flying into a target, you can, based on, you know, how good you are at reading and feeling those wind directions and everything, you have a lot more options as far as where you can go. Wow. Okay. So you almost have to be a meteorologist. <laughs> or... Yes, that's part of training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So how high do you go? I mean, and what happens if somebody starts to freak out and you guys are like way up in the, I mean, has that ever happened to you? <laughs> You can go as high as you want in a balloon. You just need oxygen assistance at a certain level, I believe. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I don't know if I want to be in a basket needing oxygen. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I've known people that that have flown really high in a balloon and, you know, they're they're trying to achieve different things. The higher you go, theoretically, the wind is faster, so they're trying to travel longer distances, but... We're just kind of like a recreational flight. Generally, we stay between, you know, the deck, the ground, and then around 2,000 feet. If you go any higher than 2,000 feet, it just kind of all looks the same. And and the reason why you would actually go up that high is if you're trying to find more wind speed or a different direction. But that's generally in a normal flight. That's where we would range in between. But, you know, as far as like uh, something, somebody freaking out, I've had uh, a person up where, uh, they're kind of just hanging on to that, what we call them upright, you know, those poles that come up from the, the basket part that connect to the balloon. Right. Well, they, this person was like, had a death grip on it looking down and, and <laughs> was saying, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. But what I did is, at that point, I bring, there, you know, there's a large field in front of me, and I bring the balloon down to where the basket is hovering about two to five feet above the ground. I said, open your eyes. <laughs> and we were going, you know, about a mile, mile an hour, two miles an hour over just this big field, and I said... And I was like kind of moving around the basket and I was like, look, we're not going to fall. You know, we're safe. And once you kind of show people that it, it is safe and everything, you know, I'll give them the option. We can go back up or, you know, we can land here if you want. But I ended up going back up and that the, the person enjoyed the rest of the flight. Uh, well, that's well, that was really nice of you because I'd be like, uh, do you have shots of vodka or? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, well, I've actually, I've actually had somebody pass out in the basket on me. Before. No, was, you have not. Like, yeah. So basically, I was just lying 300 feet, and the person looked back at me and said, uh, "I feel funny," and I was like, "Well, you, you look all right." And they, <laughs> Oh my goodness, what is happening? So in that instance, you have to learn as soon as practical and safely. So luckily, the person actually comes to before I land. I was like, sit down, you're good. And uh, yeah, that happened. I land. Everything was fine. I mean, we called the paramedics anyway, um, just based. Oh, sure. Right. One of my more exciting instances. And I'm sure you've had plenty because you're a lot older now than 19, not that much older, but you know, you've been doing this for so long. You've, you've probably got all kinds of stories, but this is so fascinating. And I just cannot imagine being up there and passing out. That would, well, I don't think I would do that. Um, Now, do you have a limit of, do you have a limit, like a weight limit? And do you also have spotters on the ground as well? How do you know where you are? I mean, I'm sure there's compasses and all that, but kind of explain that to me. Yeah, so we do have a ground crew that follows us in the chase vehicle. That's, you know, where we load everything up and pack everything up in. And so they do their best to track me as I fly. And when I land, theoretically, they should be there fairly shortly or to assist with the landing. And then once right. they find me, we all pack up, we pack it up. And, and that's in a nutshell what the chase crew does. Now, the weight limit depends on uh, ambient temperature outside. So theoretically, with your the temperature outside, if it's like 80 degrees outside, it's going to take that much more heat to reach the point of buoyancy, meaning where the balloon is going to lift off. And the fabric inside can only be safely ran at a certain temperature. So that if, makes sense. if it's yeah. too hot outside and the more weight you put in, the higher the temperature in the balloon is going to have to be in order to just fly level or you know be buoyant. So... It depends on the heat outside, the heat inside the balloon that it's going to take there. You have to calculate the weight limit of the basket and the envelope, the balloon itself, plus the pass- the weight of the passengers. And then also the balloon size matters also. So like if the larger the balloon, the more people you can carry. Right. Um, you know, if I have a small balloon on a hot day, then I would only really be able to just take myself. I wouldn't be able to take anybody else because it, the fabric would just be being damaged at that point at an unsafe temperature inside the balloon. You know, I never even thought about that. I never even thought about the fabric inside the balloon getting too hot because they're so big, you think the the heat's going just straight up in there, you know, like the heaters we have sometimes at at home outside. But yeah, that makes total sense. Golly, how fascinating. So I I mean... (laughs) I'd still probably be hiding some vodka or something in my pocket and just go, who doesn't have to know? (laughs) I wouldn't blame you. I know you could have it, but I'm going to have some, you know. But um, now, do you do the bigger ones or the smaller ones, or does it vary, or do you have your own equipment? What have you done with that? So my first balloon, you know, and balloons can range from, like, little cloud hoppers around, like, 30,000 cubic feet all the way to... You know, I've seen ones that are just massive, you know, 750,000 cubic feet. I think that's the biggest one. I, I can't remember. But they, yeah, that's big. Yeah. But the normal average balloon you see out there is about 75 to 90,000 cubic feet. Some, of, A lot of them are 105,000 cubic feet. But, you know, my balloon was around 65,000 cubic feet of balloon. So it really only took my, my weight, maybe another passenger, depending on how hot it was outside. 
but that balloon kind of lived its life. And, you know, when the fabric becomes too old or used, mm-hmm. so right. then you just retire the balloon itself. So that's kind of what happened with mine. But I have not bought another one. I usually help out a lot of my friends who are pilots, and sometimes I'll fly with them now too. But, you know, that's kind of what I'm doing now. And, and obviously the goal is to get another one, but with kids and everything else and other responsibilities. (laughs) Yeah, right. uh, And I know it's a hobby for you right now. And with COVID, it might not be a bad thing being being stuck with people for however long, because I don't even know how long the flights are. What is the average flight time? uh, Between 45 minutes and an hour. That's generally what we aim for. The people who do ride businesses, which I don't do my own ride business, but there are a lot of pilots out there who have their own ride businesses, they say between 45 minutes and an hour, just depending on where they end up and, and landing spots and availability, all that stuff. Now, and I'm curious, let's say a man was wanting to propose to a woman on a, on a balloon ride. Uh-huh. And I'm sure that's happened quite a few times, but oh, yeah. so I'm probably not being very creative here, but can you guys let them serve champagne to each other or have a little snack or something on the, you know, if, if the balloon is big enough or the whatever, can you is that something that somebody could do or is that something that's not really recommended? Uh, you know, it's not recommended. Typically you want to have the alcohol on the ground after the aircraft is down. Right. Um, no, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and the balloons that we fly, there's not really enough room anyway to do that. Oh, gotcha. Okay. You, know, you just really only have standing room, but you know, I know that there are other companies, whatnot. I've seen things on, you know, YouTube and stuff too, where, I guess uh, some companies do that, but, you know, traditionally, after every flight anyway, the, the, it's it's tradition to have a, a toast of champagne after the flight, so oh, when gotcha. everybody's down safely on the ground. Well, th- here's another question. Um, what do you do about planes or that kind of thing? Do you guys have to give them some kind of heads up um, that you're going to be in the area? Does ground traffic somehow get a hold of those people, or do you stay away from flight paths, or how do you do that? Yeah, so we try and stay in the airspace that we are allotted. So we, we don't want to fly into major airports airspace. And if that happens, we do have a, a radio where we can, you know, communicate with the, the tower that's near us. Right, that, right. That, hey, you know, um, I'm in the area, I'm flying, I'm, I'm in your airspace, you know, so they can kind of navigate around you. But usually they don't like that too much unless it's actually planned like an event or something that's going around that's right. flying near a traffic pattern like that but the area that we fly in is, is more rural and so the airspace you don't really get into any type of airspace that would get you in trouble but you always have an aircraft radio that, that we're able to communicate if need be right because i was wondering i mean i know you guys would never go up if the weather was bad and or the wind speeds were bad but you know that's had to have happened before you know what would you do then you know because that's when you get in their airspace right so with ballooning we train on on weather patterns a lot and you know you really want everything to be perfect they had a pop-up thunderstorm or something like that there have been you know stories where pilots do get themselves in trouble like that but you know something like that happens and you got to try and well land as soon as you can obviously right you know the winds are very unpredictable you know the the way a thunderstorm kind of works the best way to describe it's kind of like a general wind directions coming it's basically feeding off the moisture in the air and bringing it up like a big updraft kind of but you you honestly don't want to fly if it's marginal like 
that. You're looking at the weather and you can make a pretty educated decision and decide not to fly. Because there are actual months where you can't fly. What are the optimal months and what are the months that you just can't fly? Uh, well, you can you can fly really any time of year. Oh, honestly. really? Okay, that's... People do okay. winter flights. Winter flights are more fuel efficient just because it's colder outside and it takes less heat. Um, no, that makes sense. To keep it in the air. So mm-hmm. it's just cold. And, right. But my favorite time to fly really is actually kind of around this time because when the leaves start to change because it's just really pretty oh yeah i was just gonna ask you that that sounds like the most amazing thing to do in a hot air balloon for one i love looking at mountains and that kind of thing but but just to see that the leaves change and all the trees and all the different beautiful colors i just can't imagine and i know it's got to be just so nice and quiet up there Yes, for sure. That's um, that's one of the main differences between any other form of flight is other than the burner, the heating source that, that goes off every once right. in a while, you, mm-hmm. it, it is absolutely so peaceful and calm and quiet. You might hear, I mean, dogs hate us or, or maybe they love us. I don't know if they're barking <laughs> at us all the time. Um, I'm assuming it's hate because they go, they go wild. You can see all the dogs running around. So you hear a ton of dogs and you can almost actually hear conversations uh, that people are having out, outside on their deck you know you can you know wave at people too and stuff like that it, it's fun it's, it's oh cool that though. just sounds yeah, amazing the, the silence and the the peacefulness is one of the best parts and now you said you're gonna wait maybe purchase one of your own balloons again soon and you're helping now but is covid um having an effect on this or are you guys able to do maybe not the distancing but just using masks are you able to do it that way or are you guys kind of just chilling out until you can come back to it yeah, so a lot of pilots are able to, to social distance and wear their masks and stuff. You know, we've always followed procedure as far as that goes to right. not expose ourselves. So there haven't, in the ballooning community here, there hasn't been any, you know, outbreaks or anything. So that's one of the ways that I know that everybody's following protocol, which is good. Right, um, right. And it helps to be outside. And, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. But it hasn't really had much of an effect. I'm sure that there is a, a natural effect of something like this happening, but it hasn't completely stopped operations or anything like that. Well, that's so good to know, because like I said, it is a stressful time, Ryan, and the fact that people can go up in a balloon, if you're brave enough, because I know some people are afraid of heights, but I think once you show them it's safe and this is sturdy and, and I know what I'm doing or whatever, and if they can just relax, that has to be probably the best thing they can do to relax. Take a deep breath and just enjoy and take it all in and do whatever you can just to enjoy the ride. And one thing I'll say too is I'm, I actually don't like heights very much either, and I know it doesn't really make sense. But, you know, like getting on a getting on a ladder or a really tall building, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. But when you when you're in a balloon, it's a different sensation. Like when you break the connection with the ground, you know, on a ladder, you're the ladder is still connected to the ground or in a building, you're still connected to the ground. So it's a different feeling there versus when you're just kind of like suspended. Right, right. You don't really feel or notice once you're kind of adjusted it's just a completely different feeling and a lot of people who are kind of squeamish with heights can do a hot air balloon ride easily so it's just different no it just it makes sense and it just sounds lovely and i wish you were in texas because i would totally take you up on it but i know you're not so uh, now you guys are in kentucky and you're still in business tell everyone what the name of the business is that you work with 
a lot of my friends here, they have their own ride businesses, and I don't want to leave anybody out. I know several pilots, and there's... Well, you know what? Tell me this. Where is it in Kentucky? Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. If somebody wants to take a balloon ride in Louisville, Kentucky, maybe look in, you know, Google balloon rides, and they might even run into you. How about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a big possibility for sure. So right, right. Everybody who runs their operations here do a very, very good job, and they're very good at what they do. So all the pilots here are definitely trustworthy who have their, their businesses and stuff. So. Right. Well, it just sounds like such an amazing thing to do, and, and what a fun hobby. I mean, it's got to be just so relaxing. And if your kids like it, how fun that you can maybe even take them here and there. So, Because that's what your dad did, and look, look what happened. You're, you're a pilot now. I think that is so amazing. And Ryan, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, you know, I love sharing about what it is. It's just a cool thing. So thanks for having me on. If you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review. It'll help my podcast out and more people will be able to listen. Also, I am a novelist and write paranormal romance. All my books are available on Amazon.com. So check me out. And you can also reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you guys all for your support. And I'll talk to you next week.